have that song be our cry for this year. That the Spirit would fall down, break out among us. The Holy Spirit would just shape our lives and direct all that we are and all that we want to be and all that we want to become. Uh, that would make this year a good year. Uh, I think we'd see some uh, drastically different things happen in our lives, drastically different things happen in our community, drastically different things happen here at Shorewood. Uh, so I, for one, am trying to make... Um, that song is a song by uh, Jesus Culture, if you wanted to download it or whatnot. Um, Spirit Breakout. You can listen to it in your car, you can download it. It's worth the 99 cents or $1.09, whatever uh, iTunes is charging for it. It is uh, fabulous. Or you can get it on YouTube and it's like 45 minutes long. Uh, so they just keep on going. It's, it's pretty uh, awesome. Um, but I, I've been uh, piping it in here and just praying over the sanctuary um, as that song's been going on and in, my, in our offices. And uh, I'll catch Yvonne rocking out to it um, when she doesn't think I'm coming into the office that day or whatnot. All of a sudden, she's just belting it out in the office. And I was like, that's just awesome. Uh, awesome to be a part of, and um, just a heart cry. I know of our staff this year, but as a heart cry of this church. <clears throat> as you can tell, I'm not 100%. Probably none of you are 100%. We are the few, the proud, the Marines this morning, are we not? We're just going to go. Uh, so, you know, it just happens in everyone's life when um, next year, gang, we're all getting flu shots. All right, so it's good. It didn't work. Dang, government. Uh, so I don't. I don't know if, if if our church can be a can be a be a dispensary of flu shots if we can work that out or what. Or just you walk in on Sunday morning before you come in, you just get shot and we're good to go. Everybody's everybody's got. It. Don't want to be legalistic about it, but get a flu shot. Um, well, it's just uh, it's been one of those years already, and um, but it's exciting. And I, as we prepare our hearts and minds for this new year, I just wanted to spend a little time talking about one of the areas of what I'm dreaming for our church and areas as we talk about reaching and growing and serving. But today we're kind of talking about reaching, but more about preparing our own hearts and our own attitudes to what that looks like when we interact with people who might not know Jesus or just searching uh, for Jesus and searching for what life change could be like. Uh, how do we hold ourselves? How do we uh, conduct ourselves? And I think uh, in John 8, Jesus gives a pretty amazing example of what, uh, how we should conduct ourselves, how we should hold ourselves, how sh- we should uh, interact with people. And uh, the Bible actually in John 8 gives a great example of how you shouldn't uh, hold yourself and how you shouldn't conduct yourself in, that, in situations as well. Um, one of my heart cries for a church is a place where emotional armor can be checked at the door. And when, when we pull into the parking lot, it feels like we all can take a collective uh, breath of fresh air, <coughs> a collective sigh, and just say, um, I can be me. I can be real. I can uh, be myself. I don't have to worry about any judgment. I don't have to worry about... Um, what people might think of me or what might people say throughout the week of the people I interact with here at the church. And not that I'm experiencing a lot of that or anything like that, but that's my heart cry for anybody that walks into these doors, anybody who 
whether they've been a Christian for 40 years or um, just trying to figure out faith and what that looks like for their life. Um, as soon as they turn onto school road, they can start to feel that this is a place that I can be loved, that I can be accepted, that I can be nurtured, I can be cared for, that I can be developed. Um, that's who I am and um, where I want to see us go as a group of people and a, as a body of believers. <clears throat> and I think that's vitally important because I think the world is crying out for that. We've all been in experience in places where it felt like you had to be like a turtle or a knight with armor on um, because if you let anybody in, you would be destroyed. The place was called high school, <laughs> right? And, um, on, and if we're honest with each other, sometimes that place is called work. Sometimes that place is called family, if we're just honest. So if we can uh, work diligently, um, diligently, because it's something that you can lose overnight. It's something you can lose in a week. But it, it takes, it's hard to gain. But the, no, the feeling of knowing I can be completely real, I can be completely transparent, I can come in with my warts and with my problems and with my mistakes and still be loved and cared for here. And uh, I think one of the major rules is when we think about, um, when I think about inviting people to church. Uh, the people I've had the most like <laughs> invited to church, it's been really interesting. I've invited the person uh, that checks me out at Kirkland's. And they're like, why do you keep on buying all these interesting things? Uh, me and the Kirkland's lady, we're getting close, right? Um, I, had a, I had a Home Depot guy one day like chase me out to the, the uh, parking lot and was asking, why do you get tax-free? He's like looking for my angle, like how how's this dude getting... Uh, getting tax-free things, and uh, I was like, because I'm a pastor of a church, and like, he quit talking to me immediately, because that's, <laughs> that's, that's the normal reaction of a 25-year-old man when he finds out I'm a pastor. It's like, oh, he's got cooties. Uh, so, I don't bite, promise. Uh, so we, so I start talking to him, and he's like, no, no, no. I was like, do you know where the firehouse is in the school? Yeah, yeah, we're at church down there. Really? Oh. And that's how you get the tax free. That's how I get the tax free. You got to become a pastor and then you can buy the stuff for free. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, so, but it's over and over again. Um, it's really fun when I find people like at the, um, at the library and, and you start talking about how you got here or whatever. And they, they have, uh, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. And I had one lady who, um, if you know the house that I live in, is owned by somebody who had a youth. Um, really cool youth center here in town uh, for years. And I was talking to somebody up in Naperville, and they were like, I used to spend every New Year's Eve in that house praying in the new year. And I thought that was really neat that the house that I'm staying in has a history of, uh, of this uh, just praying for people and, and caring for people. But it still comes about, what do you do? What, how do you, you know, hey, well, um, you should come to church sometime. I, I tried to... I don't, this was not probably the most effective way of doing this. I tried to witness to the urgent care person this week as I gave her the plague, probably. Uh, but she's, she's talking to me, and she's like, okay, I'm going to give you this medicine, but you have to promise me you will not preach when you take this medicine because I do not want to be responsible for you getting fired. So she's like, do not, do not, do not uh, take this. I was like, well, 
here's my card. You might want to sanitize that or sterilize it or whatever. But uh, here's my card. You want you come on Sunday and try to figure out if uh, if I took the medicine or not when I preach. She's like, ah, but well, we might see her. I don't know. But the question that pops in my head, anytime I come in contact and you have to make that, I'm the pastor here, right? It, but anytime you you make that decision of I'm going to say, hey, why don't you come to church? There's that that gut check. It is for all of us. You know that, that hesitation. But that idea of I want, you know, I, I, the pastor might lay an egg every week and he's a terrible preacher. I'll try to do better. You know, we might have issues with other things. But if I know that deep in my heart, that anytime somebody steps onto this property, they're going to be truly and ultimately loved and cared for. It doesn't matter what else the programming of the Sunday morning goes on. But if the love of Christ is evident from the parking lot in, then we've won. We've done a good job. We've done our best. And so that's, uh, I want to explore John 8 and framing in that. And because I want to be a person like that. I don't, it's hard for me sometimes. I get caught up in, um, and this is me talking about the new year. I get caught up in doing church that I want to get caught up in being the church instead. And there's things that have to be done. My mic has to work. You know, there's, there's things that <coughs> the lights have to come on and, and things, certain, certain things have to happen. But the people are way more important than this. And what you guys are struggling with is more important than if the graphic is perfect. And that's, I think, personally, but I think we all get sometimes caught up in our own things of what we do on a Sunday morning and how, how did I place the cookies or did I get those or did my kids you know, shoes match this morning, and all the different things that we've got going on, whether it's back in the kids, or just the sheer enormity of getting your kids out the door, right, and we can, we can lose, we can lose uh, why we're even here, and, and what we're about here on Sunday morning, and so I want to be incredibly intentional as we start this year about thinking, why am I here, what am I doing, how do I frame myself, how do I pray through this? How do I let God work on my heart and my soul to say, you know what, I'm here to show the love of Christ? Whether that's at church, whether that's at Kroger, you don't have Kroger, whether that's at Jewel, sorry, <laughs> whether that's at whether that was Dominic's, if you can find one, whether that's at Home Depot, wherever your Kirkland's, that I can just start showing the love of Christ and whoever I'm talking to. And that, and that in the back of my mind, it's, hey, you know what, at the end of the day, People are going to be loved by how I'm interacting, and I, I know I can trust my church to love people as well. Does that make sense? Oh, that's where we're going today. Uh, so open your Bibles to John chapter 8. It's very important. Um, I was thinking about this. Stuff. I think we have to be a little more. Um, I'm talking about emotional armor and talking about uh, this whole turtle syndrome of I'm not gonna let anybody hurt me um, type thing because I know I can fall into that and uh, I know we all fall into that. But this this idea of putting on emotional armor when we walk into church. If everyone has emotional armor when we're in church, then no one will be vulnerable enough with each other to really build real relationship. And um, the funny thing about having a real relationship and vulnerability is someone has to go first. 
Someone has to be vulnerable first. There's always that awkwardness if you've ever been in a, a life group or um, any sort of a small group or a group of friends that that first person was like, well, I'll go. My life's terrible and this is why. And, you're, and everybody's like, okay, good. Well, they did it. Uh, you know, it's like opening the wound or wh- whatever. And then hopefully it doesn't become a one-upping type thing where, oh, really? Well, I lost my leg today. Uh, you know, and, um, but it becomes, okay, someone opened that up. Oh, someone opened up that, that, that can and now we can really see what's going on. We can really look at the heart issues of that. And, um, and that's something that I, I'm thinking about and, and working through. Uh, this hit me this week as I was preparing the messages. Jesus doesn't stop every emotional cut that happens. Because when we take off our armor, we, we expose ourselves to emotional cuts and emotional wounds. That's the problem with not having armor on, is you can get hurt. But Jesus doesn't stop every emotional cut that happens. What a life with Jesus can do is keep the cuts from getting infected. And think about that. I mean, I can handle a paper cut. It hurts. It stings. Then you get, like, salt in it, and you're like, oh. You know that feeling? But it's, that's nothing compared to when something gets infected. And I think emotionally, we let our emotional wounds... What Jesus does is he's like, yeah, you're going to get hurt in life. You're gonna, things are going to happen. You're going to fall down. You're going to get bumped. You're going to get bruised. These things are going to happen. But Je- Jesus' cleansing power and, and, and how Jesus shows us how to live our life is keeping those cuts from being infected. And I think as we expose those wounds, as we uh, maybe uh, bathing ourselves in the scripture is kind of like a soothing antibiotic. I think sometimes Jesus... Uh, cuts to our heart a little bit way, maybe sometimes even rough, like, oh, and it feels like maybe that wound's being lanced, uh, being be another wound to, to take care of the first wound. And that happens over and over again. Um, but Jesus doesn't stop every emotional cut that happens. I think sometimes we place that on him, that once I become, I have a relationship with Jesus, I won't ever get wounded again. No one will ever be mean to me again. Everything will be perfectly fine. Folks, that's not the way it works. I'm going to be disappointed with Jesus if that's what you think. But Jesus, and the ways we're going to talk about here later, can keep that wound from being infected. Life with Jesus changes your eternity and your present reality. Life with Jesus changes your eternity and your present reality. Falling in love with Jesus and coming into a relationship with Jesus changes everything about your life. It changes where it's going, what's going to happen, eternity. But if you're anything like me, I'm kind of impatient. And so it's kind of like, well, it's awesome whenever I die. But what, what, how does this faith thing have for me today? And what is it going to change about me today? And how am I going to be affected by it today or tomorrow or next week? And I think Jesus has a lot to do with what it looks like today in our present reality. And I'm all excited about how my eternity's changed and how your eternity's changed and how life with Jesus changes all that. I'm not downplaying that in any way, shape, or form, but I also want to be very cognizant. I want to be very real with the fact that our present reality can be changed now. I've seen too many times with students go to conferences and have a, a 
incredible encounter with Jesus and change their life and change their eternity with Jesus, but it feels like two weeks later, everything's back to normal and their present reality hasn't changed. And so how do we, <coughs> I think in our own lives as adults, we kind of feel like we go on that same roller coaster sometimes. Uh, maybe as we go to a, a men's minute group or a, a, you hear a speaker or something at church happens and there's, a, there's, a, there's an event that changes us. But it never seems like we've, we've let that present reality get changed. I think one of the major areas in which our present reality starts to change is when we start to take off our armor and are willing to get wounded, willing to be real, willing to expose ourselves um, and expose our, our hearts to people. John 8, chapter, uh, John chapter 8, verse 1 to 20. I'm going to read for a while for you. Hopefully my voice will hold up. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. There's a couple of things wrong with, with what's going on here. One, where's the man? Last time I checked, adultery is a two-person job. So, and, and secondly, they're incredibly embarrassing, this woman. They're catching her adultery. She ain't got no clothes on. She's naked. Scantily clad, if you will. And they're, they're, they're just publicly humiliating this woman. Now, she probably didn't have any ties to power. Of course not. No one would have done this to their own daughter. No one would have done this to a rich and powerful person's daughter. Another thing that sticks out to me is, how did they know that this was the moment in which she was committing adultery? So did you have someone spying on a, a couple? Did you have someone going, you know, gossiping and going behind people's back and doing all this spy craft to try to catch someone in the act of adultery? All the effort that must have taken place to try to catch someone at this most intimate moment? Seems like there's a lot of effort expressed there that could have been displaced in a different way. It makes Jesus, it just breaks his heart. Like Jesus is just flabbergasted in, in this scene in the scripture. But think about if the effort would have been placed not to catch someone in adultery, but to help this person out of the whatever situation they find themselves in. The same effort that could have been spying on them could have been talking to them. The same effort that could have, that, <laughs> um, that have been uh, uh, tracking them all down could have been used to uh, speak life and love into this relationship, into this couple, and hey, what's going on? We're, hey guys, you know, you know where they're getting together, Pharisees, men. Why don't you just go kidnap this guy and take him out? Go fishing. Might be a little distracted, a little cranky about that, but this is, this is a way, I mean, do you see the problem here? Instead, they've used all their, their effort and their energy, whether to entrap this poor couple and this poor woman, and to totally publicly humiliate her, to try to publicly humiliate Jesus. Instead, all that energy, all that effort, 
The same amount of effort could have been used to build up and to restore. I think sometimes, maybe even in our own lives, we spend so much time poking at people and finding their faults and, and tearing them down. And we could have reversed that and spent the same amount of energy building somebody up, restoring them, and caring for them. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, Let it, any, <coughs> excuse me. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will have light of life. The Pharisee challenged him, How are you? Here you are, fearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked, Who is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not come. I think these are the religious elite. These are the people who've been to church their whole life. And Jesus tells them, you don't know me and you don't know my father. To me, that's haunting. To me, that's a a feeling of, oh, what an indictment. How am I living my life? How how am I structuring what what I say to people and how I how I deal with people. Could it be said of me that you don't know me and you don't know my father? If we think about who we are and how we deal with people and how we treat people, we ask the question of ourselves, do we know him? Do we know him? And do we act like we know him? Life with Jesus is about forgiveness. It's about our own forgiveness. It's about the forgiveness that Jesus does for us, about how he washes away our sins, how he cleanses of our filth and our impurity and all the junk that we've done in life. But it's also about the forgiveness that we get to give. I have a... uh, I have a wonderful bathtub in the basement of our house. This thing's like a pool. It is huge, right? And it is all this latent potential of, of comfort. And it's got the jacuzzis. It's got all this stuff. It's beautiful mauve. 
It is a child of this. Uh, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. Uh, it's a rental. I didn't put it in there, okay? So <laughs> it's, this, it's this huge. I mean, it is a bathtub. Bowen thinks it's like going to Six Flags if he gets to go down in the bathtub. And it, it, it is a wonderful, nice thing to have in our house. The problem is I, I, I was trying to take a bath in it because I felt so terrible. I just wanted to sit in hot water. And I pumped in hot water and I was receiving all this, this goodness until about four inches happened and then all of a sudden the water turned ice cold. Very disappointed. <laughs> Which is fine for my kids to, to play in and, 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 and take a bath in because they don't need you know, 18 inches of water or whatever. I don't know. This thing is, I mean, it is massive, okay? They don't, they don't need all that because it sloshes out and they do cannonballs if I get it too deep. But they, they, uh, <coughs> they get to experience that and they, they understand it and, and they get to have the bath in there, especially with two of them. But for me, that wasn't nearly enough. I couldn't get what I needed out of it. I, I was only experiencing part of the, the goodness of this bathtub. And I, so I talked to my my uh, my friend Paul here, and I said, Paul, what do you think is wrong with my uh, thing? And he said, you know what? Your tank for that thing is probably all gummed up with lime and rust and junk. You're only getting half the tank full of water because the rest of it's all these minerals and this junk and this nastiness and this stuff. I was like, hmm, that's exactly what I wanted to take a bath in. <laughs> it's wonderful. But I started, as I was thinking about that, I started thinking about, that's kind of how we experience Christianity when we don't even, when we don't pass on the forgiveness. It's like we get half the benefit, but the true beauty of it all is when we get to just let that pass through, when we let forgiveness get to go all the way through, when we get so clogged up in our own bitterness and our hatred and our crankiness and all the, uh, in our unforgiveness of people, we choke the potential that God has in that forgiveness. We limit how much we can. We can only get, it's, it's only like we're getting four inches of the hot water, and you're like, oh, well, this is fun. We're only getting to experience just a smidgen of all that God could have for us in this Christian life. And so I want this next year to be a year where I experience giving forgiveness. Not to make myself, oh, I'm such a good forgiver. That's not the point. But that would be a conduit of Christ's forgiveness in me. That, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that's been forgiven of, of Jared and all the stuff that I've done. But I'm just passing it through. I'm, I'm not going to get my tank all messed up with, with lime and hatred and, and junk. I'm just going to keep on passing that forgiveness through. Where in our lives could we just let forgiveness flow? Because there's things that have been building up kind of like a clogged artery for us that's just choking the life out of us that we just will not forgive. As we examine our hearts this new year, how do we need to forgive? How do we need to move on? How do we need to pass that on? Life with Jesus is about letting go. John 4, Jesus, or John 8, verse 4, Jesus says, Is there no one here to condemn you? that I don't either. Go and sin no more. Jesus could have given her a big morality speech. Could have broken her down anymore. Like, listen, this is the problem with adultery. I know you're standing there naked, 
and in front of everybody and embarrassed. He doesn't have to do any of that. He just said, oh, listen, don't do that anymore. She didn't have to be convicted. That's pretty much done already. She didn't have to be a finger wagged at her. Don't do that anymore. That's what he says. I think sometimes in our own lives, we just got to let go, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to let it go. There's a lot of baggage in my life, and there's probably a lot of baggage in your life, that we would be a lot lighter if we just refused to pick it up every morning. I saw, um, there's an old youth skit for camp. It's, you, you take a backpack and you uh, take rocks. And like, oh, and every morning you pick up this backpack of rocks and you carry it around as your baggage. And you just keep on putting rocks and more rocks. And as you think about things, you put more rocks in your backpack and you carry it around and it gets incredibly heavy and weighing you down. And I think, you know, it's, it's a silly youth skit that people do at camp every year and they cry at the last night and it's great. I'm going to get rid of my rocks. Okay, you get rid of your rocks. It works. Uh, but the same thing for us, if we, if, we, if we think about it, there's things, there's people that every morning we get done with our Cheerios and we're like, mm, yep, got to take that grievance and put it right there. That's got to weigh me down today because if I'm not mad at Susie today, it's just not a good day. And if I can't put this on, oh, and that person right there, oh my goodness, I can't stand them. Got to... Got to put that on. And by the end of the time you walk out the door to your car, you're already in a terrible mood, mad at eight people for no reason. They haven't talked to you in three months. That's just me, maybe not you, right? <coughs> May this new year be a new year that we let it go. Just let it go. Drop those rocks. Life with Jesus is about knowing Jesus, going back to this, this haunting passage of, you don't know me or my Father. He's speaking that to a people who are so full of hatred and spite that they can't see the beautiful things happening right around them. They can't see this redemption story that Jesus is enacting in this girl. Because that just happened, and this is the next scene. Like, the girl leaves, and Jesus is kind of standing there when people are probably feeling like they can come back and talk to him because he's not going to yell at them. That's what's, that's what's going on. They come right back to trying to attack Jesus. They totally ignored this story of restoration and the story of redemption that Jesus enacted out in this, in this poor woman's life. I think sometimes we're so consumed with maybe even being right. We're so consumed with, <coughs> uh, with, the, with the, the hatred or the spite or the hurt feelings that we've been harboring for years that we can't see the beautiful stories that are happening all around us. I want this year to be a year where I get to see the beautiful things. I want this year to be a year that you get to see beautiful things. As a church who has to become reaching focused, we can't get caught up in what people are like when they come into the church. We have to be focused on who they can become as they do life in the church. I had the honor of working with a lot of kids who did drugs um, at, in the youth group I worked at. I also had the honor of working with a bunch of kids who were homeschooled in a Christian co-op in the same youth group. 
comes from an interesting world collision. When you have kids who, who their, their life has been kind of sheltered so they don't have to come in contact with the very kids who are coming to church. And so you have this interesting world collision of kids who are, there's a big rave scene around where we, uh, we used to live and kids would take all kinds of weird drugs and then go to these crazy parties. And then they do things and then they feel really bad about it and we were kind of part of that restoration of their lives. <laughs> and it was always very interesting to me to watch my kids who have grown up in a Christian home their whole life and have been never exposed to anything like that before come in collision with someone whose life has just gotten jacked and who Jesus is just reforming them. And sometimes you'd get this reaction of, stone them! I can't believe they would do that. And other times you would get the most beautiful acts of mercy and compassion that you've ever seen in a 14-year-old girl. And some days you'd go, I won. Today we won, Jesus. We won in that conversation. Other times you're like, oh, I'm going to kill him. But it was very interesting to see. And I think that, that microcosm of how that works is how churches kind of sometimes argue and, and, and find themselves. It's like, wait a second, you can't do that. And then it's like, wait a second, you just don't do that anymore. Oh, okay. And it's finding that tension of, of how, do we, how do we love people enough that we're not comfortable with leaving them where they're at, but loving them so much that we're okay with where they're at for now. And I want to be a church that, that I, you know, I'm not, if we have people who have drug problems coming to church, awesome. Let's work on that. If we have people that don't have drug problems coming to the church, awesome. No, I don't have to work on that. But the standard is still the same. We all got junk. We're all weird. We're all messy. And it might not be as obedient or as, as blatant as a drug issue or an alcohol issue. It might be hidden like a pornography issue or a gambling issue or an adultery issue. But we all got junk and we all got messes. We all got things in our lives that just start, we're like, I'd rather not everybody see that. But if we can create an environment through prayer and through taking off our emotional armor to say, you know what, we're going to be real enough to love each other through whatever stage, whatever junk, whatever messes we're going through, we can become a magnet for people here at Shorewood. This community needs it because there's all kinds of crazy community needs. There's only, I mean, the census is eight, about 8,000 people live in Shorewood. That's 8,000 messed up people. That we get, we get the opportunity to love. We get the opportunity to serve. We get the opportunity to grow with. As I end, I just want to pray, spend some time in prayer for a few things, for a few things of these for ourselves and for our church. Pray that God would change our attitude. That our attitude would be, hey, maybe we can get that person to come to church. Not, ooh, I don't want that person to come to my church. I don't know if you've ever had that thought or not. I'm not, I really don't know. I hope you don't think that. Might throw something at you. Pray that our attitude would change. That we just, we saw every person as a potential someone who could fall in love with Christ. What would that look like if we were walking in a mire 
walking in Walmart, walking in Home Depot. It's like, I, that person, I wonder if they're in love with Jesus. If they are, great. Oh, you got a church home? Yep. Awesome. Have a nice day. Next. But what would that look like? How would that change our days if what we're just thinking about and dreaming about? Oh, I wonder if they're in love with Jesus. Pray that God would open your eyes to people. You guys ever get busy with the things that you got to do and you don't, you can go all day long and not really feel like you talk to a person? The person standing there, I mean, and Walmart makes it easy for you because everything's automated, tried to be automated. I won't talk about that. Um, but we, we try to go through our days speaking to the least amount of people as we possibly can. And this whole Jesus thing, this whole Christianity thing is about people. There's a problem with that. If all we do all day long is speak to machines and talk to, and try to get around people, instead of organizing our days to get around people and get away from people, we should be getting to people. I want to pray that our eyes would be open for the opportunities for that. I want to pray that God would help you take off your armor. And this is a scary one. To be vulnerable for the first time, to be open, sometimes to criticism, sometimes to how are they going to receive me if they knew that about me. Pray that God would help you take off your armor. I also want to pray that God would help you forgive this year. Maybe there's things that you have not forgiven somebody of for years and years and years. May 2014 be the year that that is forgiven. That those burdens could be cast off. That that weight could be shed. Let's pray. God, as we enter this new year, we want it to be different. I want to be different. I want our people to be different. I want us to be able to step fully into what, who you have for us and who you've designed us to be, what you're calling us to be. Would this be a year that we truly experience forgiveness and giving of forgiveness. This year will be a year that we can unbuckle some of the emotional armor we've been putting on for years and years and years. God, I ask you to remove scales from our eyes that we've kind of put blinders on because we're just trying to get through our day. God, could you give us moments where we see people how you see people? We break our hearts for them. Break our hearts for this community. God, I am in awe of the love and compassion that you showed this woman in this passage. The dignity that you, you gave her
God, I pray that that template be pressed on all of our minds and all of our mouths and all of our hearts as we deal with all the people that we come in contact with. That compassion and love are the fruits of our mouth. We love you, Lord. We're trying to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Happy New Year, you all. May this year be different than any year. May it be bigger and better than we ever could have imagined. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you all the days of your life. You are dismissed.